1 Samuel chapter number 18 tonight, and uh, I want to preach to you for a few moments about a uh, story out of the life of David. David is a young man at this point in his life, and uh, as far as the uh, continuity of Scripture is concerned, he has just defeated the giant Goliath. Uh, It's after a great victory in David's life. Now, how many of you know that it's a temptation sometimes after a great victory Uh, You don't want to go back to the mundane things in life. Isn't that true? Sometimes after God has done great things in your life, it's difficult to be faithful in the small things, in the mediocre things. But can I remind you that it was while David was in the shepherd's field that God called him. It's in the mediocre things that God does great things. We'll be faithful in the mediocrity of life, or and maybe that's not the proper word, in the mundaneness of life, in the everyday of life. I believe God can do great things. God never uses anybody that just wants to serve Him when things are going well or when they're in the public eye. The Lord only uses people that are willing to serve Him when things aren't easy and when things aren't glamorous. And so we get a glimpse in the life of David tonight, 1 Samuel chapter number 18. I'd like to begin reading at verse number 5. The Word of God says, And David went out whithersoever Saul sent him, and behaved himself wisely. And Saul set him over the men of war, and he was accepted in the sight of all the people, and also in the sight of Saul's servants. And it came to pass, as they came, when David was returned from the slaughter of the Philistine, that the women came out of all cities of Israel, singing and dancing, to meet King Saul with tabrets, with joy, and with instruments of music. And the women answered one another as they played and said, Saul hath slain his thousands, and David his ten thousands. And Saul was very wroth, and the saying displeased him. And he said, They have ascribed unto David ten thousands, and to me they have ascribed but thousands. What can he have more but the kingdom? And Saul eyed David from that day and forward. And it came to pass on the morrow that the evil spirit from God came upon Saul, And he prophesied in the midst of the house, and David played with his hand as at other times. And there was a javelin in Saul's hand. And Saul cast the javelin, for he said, I will smite David even to the wall with it. And David avoided out of his presence twice. And Saul was afraid of David because the Lord was with him and was departed from Saul. Therefore Saul removed him from him and made him his captain over a thousand. And he went out and came in before the people. And David behaved himself wisely in all his ways, and the Lord was with him. Wherefore, when Saul saw that he behaved himself very wisely, he was afraid of him. But all Israel and Judah loved David, because he went out and came in before them. Let's read verse 14 once more. The Word of God says, And David behaved himself wisely in all his ways, and the Lord was with him. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I'd ask that you'd bless your preaching tonight, your word this evening. God, you've confirmed in my heart that this is the message for the hour. And so we pray that you'd help us to be surrendered to your word tonight, Lord. That's uh, in the pulpit, that's in the pew, that's all points in between. Just, God, that you'd meet with us and that we'd be willing to meet with you that you'd speak to our hearts, that we'd respond in obedience. Lord, we love you tonight. We thank you for the good attendance in your house this evening. Thank you for the song service. Thank you for all that you've done already. But most of all, Lord, we thank you for your Son, Jesus Christ. 
His precious blood that was shed for us. May we always live in such a way as to bring Him glory. Lord, we ask all these things in Christ's name. Amen. Three times we've read tonight, and actually four times in this chapter, there is a phrase that's used that is of great interest to me. We see it in verse number 5, where the Word of God says, And David went out whithersoever Saul sent him, and behaved himself wisely. Verse 14 says, And David behaved himself wisely in all his ways, and the Lord was with him. And verse 15 says again, Wherefore, when Saul saw that he behaved himself very wisely, he was afraid of him. This phrase arrested my attention in my study. I began to think about what it means to behave wisely. To behave wisely uh, entails parts of your personal life. And we'll see here in just a moment how that David in his personal life behaved wisely. What I mean by that is when there was no one really watching David, when he was in the midst of insignificance and obscurity, David behaved himself wisely. But also to behave oneself wisely, it entails behaving wisely uh, when you're at great crisis points in your life. We have certain times when we are, have decisions to make. There are times when our entire well-being hinges upon our actions and our thoughts and our decisions just in a few moments. Certainly we see that David was behaving himself wisely at these key points in his life. But then there's times when we're under great distress. And we see that in verse number 15, really the entire thrust of the passage, that David was also at a time of great danger to his life. But even in the midst of this, he chose to behave wisely. It deals with the secret life of the believer, but it also deals with the open testimony of the believer. You know, I don't know that we do enough preaching on our testimonies. I've heard people say before, well, I don't care what anyone thinks about me. Well, I understand that sentiment. And certainly, uh, no one's opinion should, ama- should matter more than God's opinion about us. Don't you believe that tonight? But you ought to care to some degree what people think about you because it's not as much what they think about you, it's what they think about your Lord. And what they think about you is directly related to what they think about your Lord. We ought to strive to maintain a good testimony. I've had testimonial failures in my life, and I'm sure you have too. There's people I've made mistakes with and and, uh, done things that I shouldn't have done to them or around them, and uh, it's harmed my testimony in their eyes. I believe one of the things that Scripture is teaching us here is that David was keenly mindful of his testimony. The way that he behaved, the way that he acted, the way that he treated others, David did this in a wise way. And we see some things that come from it. Now, there's something that interested me when I began to look at this. You know, whenever I, I'm studying, a lot of times I'll, if I see a phrase like that, I'll, I'll search it. We've got these handy-dandy computers. You can search the whole Bible anymore. Uh, you know, I, I'll search for that phrase. And it's not used in this way anywhere else in the Word of God except in Psalms 101. Turn there with me. And I'm not going to preach this, but but I I believe it would behoove us to read this tonight. In the 101st Psalm, now, I'm going to give you a little bit of opinion. I hope that's okay. I know folks don't like opinion from the pulpit, but, but I'm going to give you just a little bit of an opinion. I believe that David probably wrote the 101st Psalm uh, either before 1 Samuel 18, or around the same time. You'll see when we read it why that's easy to believe. Let's just read it together very quickly. In verse number 1, the Word of God says in in the 101st Psalm, I will sing of mercy and judgment. Unto thee, O Lord, will I sing. I will behave myself wisely 
in a perfect way. Now, I don't think we're stretching it too much to maybe say that David had this, this thing of behaving wisely on his mind when he wrote this song. He's determining in his heart that he is going to endeavor upon wise behavior. And he begins to describe what that means. We'll just touch on a few of the things that he says. He says, Oh, when wilt thou come unto me? I will walk within my house with a perfect heart. So he says, When no one's around, I'm going to do my best to serve the Lord and to stay right with Him. He says, I will set no wicked thing before mine eyes. He says, I'm going to do my best to stay out of trouble and stay out of sin. He says, I hate the work of them that turn aside. It shall not cleave to me. He says, I'm going to be careful who I hang around with. Verse number 4, a froward heart shall depart from me. I will not know a wicked person. I don't think David's saying that I'm not going to try to help people and encourage people. But what he's saying when he says a a, a froward uh, person or a froward heart, he's saying I'm not going to allow myself to be entangled with these people. He says, someone that is of such a heart that they are consistently trying to undermine my relationship with the Lord, he says, I'm not going to allow that in my life. Verse 5, whoso privily slandereth his neighbor, him will I cut off. So he says, I'm going to try to not just uh, not hurt people myself, I'm going to try to stay away from people that hurt people. He says, him that hath an high look and a proud heart, will I not suffer. He says, I'm going to stay away from those people that are self-righteous, that don't think they have any problems. Mine eyes shall be upon the faithful of the land, they that may dwell with me. He says, I'm going to keep my focus on those that are doing something for God. He that walketh in a perfect way, he shall serve me. He says, the people that I look to to help me and to encourage me, I'm going to look for people that serve the Lord. Verse 7, he that worketh deceit shall not dwell within my house. He says, even with my family, I'm not going to allow these things to intrude on my walk with the Lord. I'm not going to tolerate it. He that telleth lies shall not tarry in my sight. He says, I'm going to separate myself from liars. Let me just pause here and, and just give you, I mean, just a thimble full of preaching. Let me say that lying is tolerated too much in this day that we live in. I mean, I, there ain't a single... If you want to tell me you've never told a lie, you've already broke your record. Because every one of us has told a lie before. Every one of us has, has done things that are deceitful at times. I'm not claiming to be spotless of this. But lying is something that's just tolerated. Uh, something that is just acceptable in society right now. David said, listen, th- those folks that like to twist the truth and bend it to their advantage and be deceitful, he says, I'm not going to allow those people to be even in my side. He says, I'm not going to tolerate people like that. Verse 8, I will early destroy all the wicked of the land, that I may cut off all wicked doers from the city of the Lord. He says, I'm even going to go a step further, and I'm going to try to stop wickedness from taking place. Now, that's not my message, but I think that gives us a pretty good picture of wise behavior, don't you? David is saying, these are the things I've purposed in my heart, uh, the, the way in which I want to behave wisely. Could we sum it up in a few words, I think? I think David says, basically, if we could put it in today's language, David's basically saying, I'm going to try to be a genuine Christian, both in my house and in the world that I live in. I'm going to do my best to not surround myself with people that are going to pull me away from my Lord and my Savior. I'm not going to allow my family even to pull me away from my walk with my Lord. And I'm going to do my best not just to not hurt others, but to keep hurt uh, from, from taking place in others' lives. I'm going to do my best to stop wickedness from taking place. David says, in this way, I believe I can behave wisely. And we find it four times in the chapter, three that we've read, and we'll touch on a fourth here in a moment. 
But we see a progression taking place. And I want us to preach for a few moments on the virtue of wise behavior. Look with me again in our text in 1 Samuel 18. And I want you to notice the commendation of wise behavior. I know, listen, and sometimes we, we sing this tune of persecution so much that we give our young people the idea that the only way they can function in this world is to compromise. Can I say there's another option? It's not either, it's not either live this world as a failure or compromise and be successful. There's a third option, and that's that we let the Lord be our refuge and our help and our present help in the time of trouble. Do you know the Lord knows what's going on in your life? He knows what you need. Man, he, I mean, God knows what's going on. A lot of folks in this room still working jobs. It's tough, man. I mean, when you work a job, and I've been in ministry now for, for a couple years full time, but it's not been too long since I knew what it was to, to punch a time clock and to go into a secular environment. And it's tough sometimes to maintain your testimony. Sometimes you feel targeted for being a Christian. But we don't need to think for one moment that we are in any way at anyone's mercy. The Lord is your help and your strength. You've heard it before, but let me say it again, that the Lord by Himself is a majority. We say sometimes, well, one person in the Lord's a majority. Hey, the Lord don't need you to be a majority. He's a majority on His own. And the Lord is fully capable of watching over His children, providing for His children, and even, and I'm going to be careful now, I'm not saying you're going to, if you just just, just uh, repeat it and believe it, that, that God's going to necessarily give you a raise or give you a promotion. But I'm saying God's able to honor our obedience and our behavior. Don't you believe that? And so we see this take place in the life of David. Look at verse 5. Now I want you to notice the advancement of wise behavior. The Bible says, now remember that before this, David has basically been in obscurity. He's basically been in insignificance. He was a shepherd. Samuel went to him, uh, opened up the horn of oil, anointed his head, said, you're going to be the next king of Israel. Uh, But no one knew this really about David yet. He walks out onto the field of battle. He hurls the stone. God puts it right where it needs to be, and the giant falls. But here's the thing. I mean, here's where we find out whether David is a one-hit wonder, you know. Here's where we find out whether David is going to be a permanent fixture in the Word of God. And verse 5 says, And David went out whithersoever Saul sent him, and behaved himself wisely. Now what happened? And Saul set him over the men of war. And he was accepted in the sight of all the people, and also in the sight of Saul's servants. Because he was willing to maintain a good testimony. Because he was willing. I'm going to try to be very careful, but very direct in what I'm saying tonight. Because I believe there's a truth here we need to grasp. Man, in this wicked, awful world that we live in, I understand that you're going to have some folks that are going to hate you just for being a Christian. We're going to deal with that here in just a second. But you'd be amazed what it would mean sometimes in your public workplace if we just act like a Christian. Just be good to people. Be kind to people. I I mean, work harder than other people work. I I believe it's a Christian virtue to work hard. I believe that. I believe that God put man and woman in the garden and said, dress it and keep it. Work is not a bad thing. 
And I believe we're to do all things to the glory of God. And I believe if we'll do that, I mean, I know that God can supernaturally advance, and He does many times. I'm sure there's people that can tell stories in this room uh, about how God saw uh, how that they honored Him and obeyed Him and in faith and patience labored and oftentimes were taken advantage of in the workplace, overlooked uh, for a promotion or overlooked for a job uh, that they wanted. But sure enough, God came through right on time in a way that no one could have expected, and God made a way when no one could have made a way. Let me say even beyond that supernatural advancement that God can do, and He does it sometimes, but even beyond that, man, you wouldn't believe how how, uh, Christians make the best workers in the world when they're sold out to Jesus Christ. They get there earlier than anybody else. They stay later than anybody else. They're honest. They don't steal. They work hard. They see their time as a gift from God and a responsibility to labor and be a good testimony. I'm saying if you really get sold out to Jesus Christ, man, a lot of times you're the person that that manager or that person's looking for. There's some folks in here with management experience. I'm sure they could tell you what they would have given when they were managers to have somebody they could depend on, somebody that they could trust. We see that, that wise behavior. We have a good testimony. And, man, I mean, it's no secret. You don't want to be a part of that crowd that's always griping and moaning and complaining. We all do a little of it from time to time. But let me tell you something. Stay away from those folks. They're like a poison. They're, they're, they're like acid to your life. You get around people that are constant. And I'm not, listen, I, I'm not Norman Vincent Peale. I'm not Mr. Positivity. I'm a realist, amen. I'm not a pessimist. I'm not an optimist. I'm a realist. They say, oh, Norman Vincent Peale, what finally did me, he had a negative thought, fell over and died, amen. Some of y'all don't, some of y'all too young to even know that. And I am too. I just, you know, read, amen. But, but uh, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm not Mr. Positivity. But let me tell you something. Those people that have constantly got something to gripe about, that are constantly complaining, that the world is constantly against them, they'll suck the life out of you if you'll let them. Stay away from folks like that. Maintain a good testimony in your workplace, and you'll find that oftentimes it will advance you. Look at verse number 6. I want you to see not only the advancement of wise behavior, but notice the achievement of wise behavior. Verse number 6, And it came to pass, as they came, when David was returned from the slaughter of the Philistines. Now, that's important right there. David had been the, the head over thousands. He had been a captain in this military campaign. And under his leadership and through the wise behavior that he sought to exemplify amongst his men, and you're going to find here in a second, we'll touch on it here in a minute, the people loved David. I mean, he, he was the people's king, you understand. The people loved David. He accomplished great things simply through doing what God expected of him. Let, let, let me just say this, and I, I've already touched on it, but man, I, I, the Holy Ghost wants to, really wants to drive this home. It's not, great things are not accomplished when people are trying to achieve great things. Great things are accomplished when people are faithful in what they know to do. God has it that way for a reason. You know, and I understand, man, I mean, David had just slain the giant. I get that. But where did God find him? He found him in the shepherd's field. Go down the line. Read your Bible sometime. Hey, Gideon led a military campaign that would blow people's minds. And when God found him, he was hiding from the Midianites so he could thresh his wheat so they wouldn't take it from him. Oftentimes, if we'll be faithful in the everyday of things, we just get impatient. Man, we want God to do great and mighty things in our eyes and in the world's eyes. We want Him to do it on our time frame, our time schedule, do it the way we want it and when we want it and how we want it done. God doesn't operate on your watch, friend. 
He operates on His own. He, he's the God that inhabiteth eternity. He's got a time frame. He's got a plan. He's got things set in motion. And if we'll just be faithful in what we know to do, when it comes time to do something different, God will let us know. We'll just be faithful in the everyday of things. I'm not saying Christians don't do great things. I'm saying the exact opposite. I'm not saying Christians don't. I'm saying that the God of Christians does great things. And who does He use? He uses people that are faithful in the things that they know to be doing. I heard a preacher put it this way. He said, when you don't know what to do, do what you know to do till you know what to do. The problem is we we don't like the mundaneness of it. We don't like waiting. I mean, I, and maybe you're different, man. I mean, I, that's how I am anyways. I don't like the waiting. I am not a patient person. I, I do not like to wait. I do not like things to drag their feet, to go slow. I want to go. I want to move. I want to do something. I want to do it now, and I want to get it done. That's just how I am by nature. And it's tough sometimes to step back and say, God, you've got a purpose in this, and I've got to be willing in patience. And that's what patience is. Patience is is serving the Lord even when you want things to happen and they're not happening. That's what patience is. Patience isn't just a matter of waiting. You can't help but wait. I mean, most of us, if we could do anything other than wait, we'd do something other than wait. But we find ourselves in positions where it's out of our hand and we have to wait. Well, it doesn't mean you're patient just because you wait. It's how you wait. It's what you do in the waiting. And we ought to be faithful in the everyday of things. And God can achieve great things. God did great things through David, through his wise behavior. Just maintaining a testimony. Just trying to do things as unto the Lord. And God did great things. I want you to notice, look with me at verse 30. I know we didn't read verse 30, but it's got the fourth occasion of this phrase. And uh, you, you can probably just turn one page and you'll find it there. Look at verse number 30. The Bible says, Then the princes of the Philistines went forth. And it came to pass after they went forth that David behaved himself more wisely than all the servants of Saul, so that his name was much set by. We see the advancement of wise behavior and the achievement of wise behavior. But I want you to think for a moment on the endearment of wise behavior. You know what that phrase means where it says his name was much set by? Well, it means what it says. It means that his his name meant something. But that same word is translated a bunch of different ways in the Word of God. But primarily, you know how it's translated? As the word precious, valuable, weighty. In other words, what it's saying is that David's name, when it says his name was set by, it means his name meant something. His name was valuable in the the nation of Israel. His name was precious to the Israelites. In other words, whenever they heard the name David, they'd say, David, he's really something, isn't he? When they'd say, oh, you heard about David and what happened with the Philistines, they'd say, oh, yes. Boy, David's precious to this nation, isn't he? Boy, David is important to this nation. Can I say that just the slow, faithful, deliberate serving of God endears us to people in a way that nothing else can? It's interesting that his name was not set by after he slew the giant. His name was set by after he behaved himself wisely. See, anybody could have hurled a rock and got lucky. And I'm not saying David got lucky, but I'm saying anybody could hurl a rock and hit the giant in the right place. Anybody could hurl a slingshot, but now he's shown a pattern and life of consistency that has grown to mean something to the people that are around him. There's no way to value what a lifetime of consistency means. I've preached a, a, a number, I don't even know how many funerals, 
And people always say at funerals, and there is, a, there is a wealth of truth to this, they'll say this person has already preached their own funeral. What they mean by that is this, that a man standing behind a pulpit in a casket with flowers on it can say nothing more, nothing that would add to and nothing that could take away from the life that has already been lived. In that way, David was preaching his own sermon through his life. We don't have it recorded anywhere where David stands up and addresses the nation of Israel. I'm sure in the military capacity that he served in, I'm sure he spoke to the men. I'm sure he was somewhat in the public eye. But it wasn't his great oratorical abilities. It wasn't uh, his, his uh, songs. It wasn't the psalms that did it. It was his actions, because actions speak louder than words. And people saw that, and it began to endear him to them. It began to mean something. Let me tell you something. Talk is cheap. <laughs> Talk is cheap. What really makes the difference is whether a person will serve God. I, let me tell you something. I, and you're, This is a guy, I mean, I ain't got a lot of years on me. And, I, and certainly I'm sure there's preachers that, that know a lot more than me, but I know a lot of preachers. And I know preachers listen to me. I, I, can, I can tell you of one right now. I could, I could give you his name that just took a church. And if it turns out like his last church did, it's going to be a, a powder keg. Let me tell you something. This guy, he can preach the paint off the walls. I mean, I'm talking about this is one of the greatest preachers that, that I know alive today that, that's a young man. I, I, I mean, he, he, could, he could drop the ceiling tiles out through preaching. But there's no pattern of consistency to his life. That's what makes the difference. And I, and I don't say this relative to me, but I say this relative to, to pastors in general. There's a difference between a preacher and a pastor. Man, there's lots of folks, and there's some folks. I mean, I've known pastors couldn't preach their way out of a wet paper sack, but their people would have laid down on a train track for them because of a life of consistency. It endears you to people. And I'm sure that you've got friends. I'm sure you've got friends that they mean more to you than anything in the world, not because they've given you a new house or given you a new car, not because they've necessarily done so much for you, but because they have always been there when you needed them. And in the same way, if we'll just determine to maintain the testimony and to serve God and to do what God would have us to do, that'll, that'll gain us favor with the right people. I know the Bible says to beware when all men speak well of you. I, I understand. But you have to read that correctly, you understand. It doesn't say beware when men speak well of you. It says beware when all men speak well of you. Because you'll never, if you're serving God, you'll always make some enemies. But don't think that it means somebody's serving God just because everybody's their enemy. I mean, I've known some folks that they really thought they was persecuted. I'll tell you what they was. They was jerks. Amen? They wasn't persecuted. I mean, you wasn't like a hound dog that acted the way that they did. That's not persecution. That's just their, their obnoxiousness. Don't think for one moment just because everybody's your enemy that that means you're some kind of hero with God. Often, if we'll serve God and be faithful in serving God, it'll make some people mad, but the right people, it'll gain us favor with them. It'll mean something to them. They'll love us for it. They'll see that God's in it, and they'll, they'll want to be knit to us like Jonathan was with David. He was knit within his soul. Hey, Saul hated him, but Jonathan loved him. You'll have some that'll turn their back on you, and we'll talk about Saul here in just a split second, but there'll be some that'll knit their heart to you. You'll mean something to them, and it won't be done through the great actions. It won't be the slaying of the giants that'll do it. It'll be the wise behavior. We see the commendation of wise behavior. Now, I want you to notice, number two, the contempt of wise behavior. Now, there are some folks it's really going to mean something to. 
But we find out that there was one person in the story that did not take too kindly to David's wise behavior. Look at verse number 8. The Bible says, And Saul was very wroth, and the saying displeased him. And he said, They have ascribed unto David ten thousands, and to me they have ascribed but thousands. And what can he have more but the kingdom? Now, let me just stop for a moment and examine what Saul says here. Now, you'd think Saul would be saying, Hey, I'm thankful for everyone that David has slain. I'm thankful for every inch of ground that David has conquered. Or you'd think maybe Saul would have said, Hey, they may be singing about David, but they're also singing about me. They're singing about David, but hey, they're saying, I've slain thousands. I don't know about you, and I don't know much about Saul, really, but I doubt that on the battlefield that day, Saul had slain thousands. What the, what the language is meant to evoke that these women are ascribing is saying that because of David's actions, ten thousands have been slain. Because of Saul's actions, thousands have been slain. They're attributing to Saul more than he really deserves, aren't they? And you'd think Saul would just be thankful to have his name mentioned. But instead, I want you to look at verse 9 with me and notice how he responds. And Saul eyed David from that day and forward. Let me say, first off, we see the scrutiny of wise behavior. Let me tell you something. There will be some that will love you because of your good testimony. But there will be some that won't trust you because of your good testimony. You know what that means? That means from that day and forward, everything that David did, Saul was watching him and looking for him to mess up. Isn't it funny? Isn't it funny how a lost person... Uh, and, and, man, you see this all the time. We, we have a messed up country. I mean, I, it's the greatest country in the world. Don't get me wrong. But, but I mean, we, we have a messed up... There's something wrong. Listen, there's something wrong when, when a football coach deflates some footballs and they're ready to string him up. But our president and, and, and his, uh, his, what's the name I'm looking for, his, his district attorney can put guns in the hands of drug dealers that kill federal agents... And there's nobody upset about that. We live in a topsy-turvy world. I mean, that's just the world that we live in. People are used to the abnormal. Now, for, if you're like me, that helps you in this world. But for a lot of folks, that hurts you. Let me tell you something. When you make your mind up you're going to serve God, there's going to be some people going to want to know what's going on with you. They're going to watch you and look for you to slip up. And you mark her down. Listen now, so, some movie star... Some Hollywood actor, some sports star can make a wreck of their life over and over and over and over again. And when they retire, there'll be posters on little kids' bedroom walls. They'll be inducted into a hall of fame. But you mark her down. If one preacher or if one singer or if one servant of God makes a mistake and messes up or even has an accusation leveled against them, that's it. Their name is buried in the mud. I'm not complaining. That's the burden we bear as Christians. But I'm just pointing out that there is a scrutiny upon those that are behaving wisely. People are going to be watching you. Oh, how we as Christians need to understand that people are going to be watching us. We see the scrutiny of wise behavior. But I want you to notice, secondly, the spite towards wise behavior. Look at the next verse. Look what it says in verse, or verse number 11. The Word of God says... And Saul cast the javelin. Now, you can see the picture. Saul, Saul's sitting there. He's in his royal court. He's got a javelin in his hand. Don't ever trust a man that just sits around with a weapon in their hand for no reason at all, you know. Uh, and he's just sitting around. He's got a javelin in his hand. David is playing the harp as he, as he always did for Saul. The Bible says, And Saul cast the javelin, for he said, I will smite David even to the wall with it. 
And David avoided out of his presence twice. We see that the scrutiny... And it wasn't that David had made a misstep. You know what it was? Listen carefully now. It was that Saul got sick of waiting for David to make a misstep. He had been waiting for David to do something out of line. He had been waiting. It's kind of like when Daniel was an old man and they were in captivity and they began to watch Daniel to try to find some kind of slip-up, something that they could, could accuse him of. And, and he did nothing wrong that they could find. And so they said, if we're going to find any offense in him, it'll be concerning the law of his God. They got tired of waiting on Daniel to make a mistake. Saul got tired of waiting on David to make a mistake. And there in his anger, in his fury, and in his frustration, he takes that javelin, that spear, and he hurls it at David and tries to kill him. Don't be surprised if you make your mind up you're going to serve God if you find people throwing darts at you. Don't be surprised if you find somebody. I mean, listen, I've experienced, I'm not going to go into detail. I don't want to seem like I'm uh, puffing myself up. I've experienced, and I'm sure you've experienced it in your life. Uh, There's some people that it endears us to them, but then there's some people that are enraged by our wise behavior. They're angry because it convicts them. It, It goes on to say why it was, and we'll touch on it, why it was that Saul hated David so much. He was afraid of him because the Lord was with him. And it angered Saul. Saul understood that for David to be advancing, it meant that he was diminishing. He'd look at David and all he'd see is a reminder that his days were short. Let me tell you something. You know what it does a lot of times to a lost and dying world when they see us maintaining a good testimony? If, if their heart is malleable, if they'll be attentive and, and listen to the, to the gospel of Jesus Christ, then oftentimes it'll make them look at us and say, what have they got? I need to get some. But a lot of times when they're hard-hearted, a lot of times in the depth of their sin, they'll look at the saved person and it's a convicting thing that they're behaving in such a manner. Makes them angry that they're living in such a way. A lot of times it will cause them to lash out. It did Saul. We see his spite. But I want you to notice finally his suspicion of David. Look with me again at what it says. Look down at verse number 12. The Bible says, And Saul was afraid of David because the Lord was with him and was departed from Saul. Now this is important because it's going to gauge how we respond. They say that a Christian is not measured by his actions but by his reactions. I think there's a lot of truth in that statement. Oftentimes we have a tendency when someone has buffeted us, when someone has sought to assault us in some way emotionally or, or, or in our career or in, our, in some way, there is a tendency to want to retaliate against them. That's your flesh, just like it's my flesh. But David understood this truth, at least I believe he did, because David throughout the rest of his life, this was a pattern that David exemplified. You'll remember times when David, two times David could have took Saul's life. There's two times in Scripture that Saul tried to take David's life and couldn't. And there's two times in Scripture when David could have taken Saul's life and didn't. Times when he had caught Saul asleep. And he took and he cut off a piece of his robe so that he could show to him later that he was that close to him and he could have killed him. David had a love for Saul, but I believe David had a pity for Saul too because he understood that what it really was was a fear. A fear, a misunderstanding, a confusion as to why God was in his life but wasn't in his own. Why he was in David's life but he wasn't in Saul's. Let me tell you something. It ought, it ought, to, it ought to touch our hearts when we remember that oftentimes when lost people seek to assault us and persecute us, oftentimes it's because they're lonely, they're miserable, they're unhappy. 
And they can't understand what it is you're singing about. They can't understand what it is you're shouting about. They can't understand what it is in your life that makes you so happy. Oh, what a tenderness it ought to instill in us, just like it did in David. Not to lash out, not to retaliate, nor to launch a pity party and invite everyone to it. Rather to say, these are people that need what I've got. And I need to have a good testimony for them. I want you to give... Well, I was going to say I want you to give me a final thing. I bet some of you got a few things to say to me. I want to give you a final thing tonight. We see the commendation of wise behavior and the contempt of wise behavior. But finally, just in closing... I want us to notice the companion of wise behavior. Look what it says in verse number 14. And David behaved himself wisely in all his ways. I like this. And the Lord was with him. I don't think those are two disconnected statements. You might, but I don't. I understand the Lord will never leave us nor forsake us. But I don't believe it's just talking about the particular presence of God. As the believer, we all have the particular presence of God with us. God is with us. He'll never leave us nor forsake us. But I want you to notice that I see the perceptible presence of God. You see, He is the perceptible companion of those that behave wisely. Look at verse number 12. The Bible says, notice it again, And Saul was afraid of David because the Lord was with Saul and was departed from Saul. Saul could see God at work in David's life. Now, there's some debate as to whether Saul was a saved man or a lost man. We'd fuss about it if you wanted. But I don't believe that David knew that the Lord was with... Or I don't believe that Saul knew that David... That, I'll get it here in a second. I don't believe, i got to slow down now, that Saul knew that the Lord was with David because his spirit witnessed with him. I don't believe it was because he could sense it. I believe it was because he could see it. What I'm saying is this. The Lord never leaves nor forsakes any of us. When it says the Lord was with David, it means that the blessing hand of God was upon David's life because of the way that he behaved. I believe God blesses those that follow His Word. I don't believe there's anything within us that's worth God blessing us. God's no respecter of persons. God don't look down at you and say, well, I like him better than somebody else. You know, I'll just bless them or look at them and say, boy, I really need them on my team. I'm really going to go after God's no respecter of persons. So why does he bless some and doesn't bless others? Now, let me preface this by saying we need to have a biblical understanding of the word blessing. Blessing does not always mean comfort. Blessing does not always mean happiness. Blessing does not always mean ease. Blessing does not always mean popularity. But there's no question that God blesses us when we're obedient to His Word. I believe that God blessed and honored David because David blessed and honored the Lord. And the Lord was perceptible in the life of David. I mean, it was evident that the Lord was working in his life. I believe he was the perceptible companion of David, but I believe he was the perpetual companion of David. Look at it again, verse 14. And David behaved himself wisely in all his ways, and the Lord was with him. I believe these are connected statements. And I believe what it was saying is this, that as long as David was willing to be obedient to the Lord, the Lord was going to be upon his life and in his life in a noticeable, considerable way. In other words, I believe as long as David... And we see it all through his life, too, by the way. If there's ever a picture of how that the manifest presence of God can be upon a person's life and depart from a person's life, it's the life of David. Because you'll see times when David is in insignificance and obscurity, and it's like God skyrockets him to a place of blessing 
and and enlargement. And then there's times when David steps out of the will of God, begins to live as he would seek to live, and it's almost like the Lord is his enemy then. You know that there's times now, and I'm trying to be careful with how I say this, there's times when the Lord will make himself our enemy. Now, I understand that, that he's always a friend to us. But there's times when, when God visits his people and it'll seem as though a, an army is marching against them because they're living in rebellion and disobedience and God's trying to get their attention. And in the same way, there's times uh, whenever David had sinned and done unrighteously, the Lord comes to him and says, All right, David, pick your poison." It can either be a time of famine, a time of war, or the death angel can pass through this land. But then there's times when God visits with him. And David says that as the heart panteth after the water brook, so my soul longeth and thirsteth for thee. Times when the Lord visits him. What I'm saying is this. As long as he'd serve God, God serve him. And you'll find that if you'll get your life where it needs to be, I'm not saying it's always easy. I'm not saying God's going to give you a brand new car and a big old nice house, but I'm saying that God will bless your life. If you'll bless Him, He'll bless you. If you'll serve Him, He'll serve you. If you'll live for Him, hey, He'll live for you and live through you. We see that He was the uh, perpetual companion. But finally, I want to notice this. He was the preserving companion of David. Look at verse number 11 again. Just the last phrase. And David avoided out of his presence twice. I don't know about you, but Saul, we know that the Bible says that Saul was a man of great stature. He was a big un. <laughs> Amen. That's, that's the official word for it. He was a big un. His head and shoulders above everyone else. David was a ruddy youth. Saul was the king. David a shepherd boy. There's no reason to believe that Saul... And Saul spent the rest of his life trying to kill David. I mean, every chance he got, he tried to slay him. It wasn't just... I mean, twice he avoided out of his presence in that way. But as we've already noted, there was time and time again when David... I mean, times when when Saul should have been fighting wars and he was trying to fight David. I mean, the, the kingdom suffered because of this vendetta that Saul had against David. It consumed him. There's no reason to believe that Saul couldn't have had his head except there was someone watching out for David that was bigger than Saul was. The Lord was protecting David. See, the Lord had his king picked out. Let me tell you something. Saul, no matter what he tried to do, could not touch David unless the Lord allowed it. Let me just say in closing tonight that when we commit ourselves to the Lord, we're committing ourselves to worthy hands. Nobody can lay a finger on you but what God lets them lay a finger on you. Before, the, before Satan could ever do a thing to Job, he had to go ask God's permission first. He had to show up in God's presence and say, Listen, I want to test him and I want to try him. Lord, is that okay? God allowed it in the life of Job. But it was only because that he allowed it that it took place. You know, it's interesting. The Bible says that we're to submit ourselves Unto the, unto the Lord, into the hand of God. That's what the book of 1 Peter says, that we're to surrender and submit ourselves under the hand of God and to humble ourselves under His hand. You know what that implies? That implies that anything that gets us has to pass through His hands first. I'm saying we have a protector. We have a preserver. We have someone that is guarding us and that is guiding us. And I believe that when we determine we're going to serve God, even when it's not glamorous, 
Man, even when it's not exciting. I mean, you're going to go out of this church tonight. You're going to go home. You're not going to have an arena full of people waiting around to see if you're going to read your Bible. You're not going to have somebody stand around waiting to clap if you pray before you go to bed tonight. You're going to have a choice to make. Are you going to behave yourself wisely, even in the mundane things of life, and see what God can do with an ordinary life when He adds an extraordinary presence into it? I believe God's able to... I I think we just need to get back to the place where being a Christian doesn't mean being a celebrity. Being a Christian doesn't mean being a celebrity. Being a Christian means being a servant, being sold out, being committed, being faithful. Not this roller coaster Christianity. Not, not like the young man who, who had a, a demon within him. He was always, he was cast into the water and into the fire. That's how some folks' Christian lives are. I mean, into the water and into the fire, into the water. I mean, they're hot one moment, they're cold the next. God help us just to behave ourselves wisely. Just to be consistent and faithful to the Lord Jesus Christ.